are listening to Impact Sports Radio, and this is Horsepower with your host, Cameron Billis. All right, you're listening to 88.9 WDBM. This is the eighth edition of the Horsepower. I'm your host, Cameron Billis. With me right now is Colin Jackson. Colin, happy to have you with me. Thank you. Happy to be here. And, all right, as you know it, we're bringing you all the latest Pistons news, and uh, we're going to get right into it. We'll start off with Greg Monroe. Uh, He's been a hot name on the Pistons news feed recently. Monroe is going to be a free agent this offseason, a restricted free agent, and so he's going to have a lot of potential suitors after him, and a few reports have came out as the season has progressed, saying that the Pistons will not let him walk and that they will match any offer that he gets uh, this offseason. So far uh, this season, he's averaged 15 points per game and 9 rebounds. And Colin, my question to you is, you know, are the Pistons better off retaining him no matter what cost, whether that be a max contract or not? I mean, I do think the Pistons should hold on to him. I mean, he's playing pretty well compared to a few other people on the team. Uh, his field goal percentage, almost 500. Us scoring about 15 points per game, like you said. Uh, he's really been a good asset. He needs to work on spacing with Andre Drummond, which has always been a concern. But I feel like he's still definitely worth holding on to. Do a big controversy when the Pistons signed Josh Smith this past offseason was Ken... Smith, Monroe, and Drummond work together on the court. Now, obviously, that hasn't worked out as well as Joe Dumars has hoped, but do you think if they get more time together, they can work things out and be on the court at the same time? I feel like there's a lot of factors here, though. It's not just the fact that they're on the court together. I think this goes beyond that. I think this goes to the coaching. I feel like this goes to the organization, the whole atmosphere in Detroit. Uh, They haven't made the playoffs since, what, 2008, possibly? This would be the fifth year. Yep. Uh... I just feel like there's a losing atmosphere there. It's a lot of low morale on the team. They need to get a new coach, some fresh blood in uh, the organization up top. And then I feel like from there on, a good, co- a good enough coach could actually mold them to work together, uh, work with them in practice, and hopefully get some results actually on the court. So, so you think that th- all three of them will be back next year? Uh, I think for sure uh, Andre Drummond and Josh Smith will be back probably. Greg Monroe I hope will be back too. Okay, I, so I mean, kind of to reiterate, you I mean, you would give him a max contract because I don't I, I would, don't know. I if would he's not give it. him a max contract. I would give him a I would give him a pretty good deal. Would I give him the best contract I could? Uh, that's up for. That's something I probably wouldn't do. I mean, Josh Smith this uh, past offseason when he signed, he signed the biggest contract in Pistons history, and that wasn't even quite a max deal, and yet. You know, obviously the Pistons are probably going to have to bring in a new general manager. We'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, Smith signed a four-year, $54 million deal. Is that the ballpark you're thinking for Monroe? Do you think that, you know, a team like the Wizards, who have shown interest in him uh, around the trade deadline, will give him more than that? And, I mean, where do, where exactly do you think that he fits in? See, I feel like, you, I think, I feel like you're right. The Wizards will give him a, a trade deadline. But right now when I'm looking at what the Pistons players are getting paid per year, I see Josh Bish getting $13.5 million this season. Next under that, I see Charlie V getting $8.5 million. Charlie V is, like, what, third on the depth chart. Um, I would definitely work on – the Pistons have had terrible luck with power forwards and – just fours in general. Uh, I feel like Greg Monroe is worth keeping, but he definitely does not. I wouldn't give him that four-year, mil, uh, four $50 million contract. I would give him 
probably more than uh, what Charlie V is getting paid, obviously. But if if another team comes by and they're willing to unload, I would let them have them. All right, well, we'll transition there. As you mentioned, Charlie Villanueva, who will probably go down as one of Joe Dumars' worst free agent signings of all time. Him and Ben Gordon came in during the same offseason once the Pistons traded Chauncey Billups for Allen Iverson to try and free up some cap space. Obviously, the story wrote itself. Those two Mm -hmm. signings did not work out. Villanueva, he is in the final year of his contract. The Pistons are still potentially paying off the Ben Gordon contract when they traded him to the Charlotte Bobcats uh, for Corey Maggette, and we gave Charlotte a protected first-round pick, which it doesn't look like we'll be giving them this year, but you know next year for sure. So talking about Joe Dumars, do you think his, his time in Detroit is, is finished? Oh, yeah, it's definitely time for Joe Dumars to go. Now, you know, he brought the city a championship. He is a Hall of Fame player who had a great career in Detroit. What what do you think his legacy will be now that the last few years, Pistons basketball just has not been what it's been in the past? I think right now it depends. For the first for the next five years or so, or even like three, two, three years, depending on how quickly the franchise turns itself around. If it's a quick turnaround, I feel like his legacy is Joe Dumars, uh, one of the greatest uh, guards in Pistons history, one of the greatest players, um, a GM that did bring us a championship. If it's a long turnaround, even after Dumars leaves, if the uh, wreckage is that bad, I would say his legacy will be um, Darko Milicic, essentially. Just Ooh, bad okay. draft picks, bad signings. Uh, just not overall, not the best GM. There could be rash decisions, firing a bunch of coaches way too quick. Yeah, he. I, I mean, lately his, his track record with hiring coaches has been awful. He's made a few good picks with Drummond, obviously, and Monroe, but... You know, it's he seems to be so stuck on the past where, you know, he held on to guys like Tayshawn and Rip when he signed mm-hmm. uh, Rip's extension. And, you know, he brought back Ben Wallace. And this offseason he brought back Chauncey and Rashid to be an assistant coach. You know, Dumar seems to be so stuck on, you know, the glory days that, you know, would you agree with me that that's kind of hindered his decision-making process going forward? Definitely. I think he's so used to being a champion that I don't think he can completely take the responsibility or even feel the blame or realize that what I'm doing isn't working. I feel like he's blaming like the others around him, which is possibly why he was able to stay in Detroit for so long with so many failed seasons, just because he was so effectively able to transfer the blame onto the coaches. Now, Tom Gores, the relatively new Pistons owner, when he bought the team, he was known as a business guy, not really a basketball guy. Uh, he's still known as that, but you know he's he's had a few years to kind of get in the groove of basketball decisions, and you know he kept Dumars on board at a time where he could have easily been fired because he trusted Dumars to make you know the big basketball decisions. Now, if Dumars is let go. He is on the last year of his contract, so they could mutually part ways, which is what is believed to happen. Um, you know, do you trust Gores to make those big basketball decisions, such as hiring a GM and hiring a head coach? Frankly, I don't, which is kind of why I'm scared for the next few seasons in Detroit. Honestly, this may be a long shot, but I feel like something that would at least be beneficial is if Joe Dumas just kind of manned up, realizes, okay, I did not do the best job, but at the same time helps Gorez find his replacement even. It's a long stretch 
uh, I understand, but I feel like that would be at least be something because Dumars does know a lot about basketball. Just his own decisions are pretty poor when it comes to. Well, see, that's interesting yeah. because you know if you think that his decision making is poor when hiring personnel, why would you really want him to help hire your next GM? Just because I'm hoping this, like I said, this is trash, but I'm hoping that at least if he comes to terms that okay, my time's up, what I did didn't work, he'll be able to see past his own uh, pride and just realize, let's do what's best for the organization and for the city that we made famous, that we made great at one point. Okay, well, you know, as as we briefly mentioned, the Pistons are going to need a new head coach next off, or this coming off season. John Lawyer has been the interim head coach since Maurice Cheeks got fired 50 games into his first year as Pistons head coach. I kind of want to take this two separate ways. We'll we'll start with this one. What? How do you think firing a coach midseason affects a team? I really feel like it just shocks the team. It inhibits their ability to play well together. I feel like they can't grow as well if they're consistently that 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 atmosphere as to whether or not someone's going to be here yesterday. As are they still here today? I feel like it definitely hurts the team. You see, you know. I think that, in a way, he deserved to get fired because obviously the Pistons were not producing at the expectations that they had going into this season, which was to make the playoffs. But then you start to think about it where, one, you know, this was his first year. What are you doing firing a first-year head coach who hasn't even gotten through his first year? And two, you have someone like John Lawyer who comes in who supposedly the players really like, and yet, you know, when it's the he- normally when it's the head coach's fault and the head coach gets fired, the players start to play better and their record indicates that. Whereas in this case, the Pistons have been awful under John Lawyer, their results haven't improved, and it makes you think, was it really Cheeks' fault, or was this? does this go back to Joe Dumars, who was adamant on getting Maurice Cheeks? And, you know, assembled this roster. I would argue mm-hmm. that it's definitely more of Dumars' fault than it was Cheeks's. Oh, definitely. I feel like it's definitely uh, Dumars' fault and just his overall impatience and stubborn attitude. And, you know, the other way that I kind of wanted to spin this head coaching topic was, you know, who the Pistons could potentially get uh, next season. I don't think John Lawyer will be back. I think that's a rather, you know, obvious statement. But uh, you know, now I'm gonna I'm gonna name a few candidates, and we'll discuss whether you think it's a realistic fit, would be an effective fit, non-effective fit, etc. So we'll start off with uh, Tom Izzo. You wrote an article on Impact89FM.org/backslash/sports about you know how Tom Izzo is being rumored to be potentially a Detroit Pistons candidate, but how that's completely unrealistic, how the media is taking that way out of control. Talk to me a little bit more about your thoughts on Tom Izzo being the next Pistons coach. I mean, I just don't see it. Honestly, I see Tom Izzo retiring as a Spartan, to be completely honest with you, just because I remember a few years back, I grew up in the area, uh, There was he was rumored to take over uh, Cleveland, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a huge, like, even local camp. Tom Izzo didn't explicitly deny the rumors like he did this time. But there was a huge local campaign. Uh, we are we heart Izzo lawn signs put up all over the area. Uh, it's definitely going to be hard to imagine Tom Izzo playing anywhere else besides or coaching anywhere else besides MSU. But isn't there something though to that 
that glamour of an NBA head coaching job, and to throw on top of that that it's a an area that he's familiar with. It's not like he'd completely have to pack up and you know ship town. I know that his daughter goes to MSU, so it's not like she would have to transfer schools. And you know he has a lot of his really talented players leaving, such as Adrian Payne, Keith Appling, Gary Harris is probably on the move. Dawson could go pro potentially. So, I mean. Isn't this as good of a time as any to go for that glory job? I mean, ordinarily, if it was anyone else, I would say yes, but I just see Izzo as more of a program type of person. That's why he hasn't had a history of recruiting a lot of just one-and-dones mm-hmm. like Calipari or a few other coaches have. Um, he's more of a... I feel like he's completely dedicated to the program. He's been here. Uh, Mateen Cleaves even can attest to that, I'm mm-hmm. sure. All right, another candidate we have is George Carl, who is former head coach of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, you know, he has an unbelievable track record of making the playoffs. He's one of the greatest head coaches in NBA history, is currently working for ESPN. He took this season off. Do you think that could be a fit? Yeah, I definitely think that George Carl could be a fit. Um, anyone with experience in Detroit, I feel like, would definitely be an asset to the team, especially with a young team with Andre Drummond and Greg Monroe. Trying th- to figure this out. Do you think a guy with such an impressive resume would really be interested in you know a job that isn't all that enticing with Detroit where you could probably find more uh lucrative offers in the NBA from other teams where yeah the Pistons have you know a guy like Andre Drummond who's any coach would love to coach but you got Josh Smith you got some real character issues and a roster that doesn't really make a lot of sense together I mean, I feel like there's still that allure of just the romanticism of let's rebuild this team. They were great ones. Detroit is still a pretty big basketball market. Uh, Detroit sports in general have been a disappointment of fans lately. Tigers last year uh, couldn't make the World Series. The Lions had to uh, couldn't make the playoffs after what, a six and two start. I want to say uh, even the Red Wings this year are having their troubles. So I feel like that allure the romanticism of being i'm the one that came in i salvaged this team i brought i restored detroit pistons basketball to what it could have been or to what it's supposed to be see that makes sense but then you know george carl's not a young guy you know he's 62 years old he's had some major health problems before i understand i understand where you're coming from where someone would love to come in and you know fix this team and solve this team but that seems more of a guy who you'd get from the college ranks, not someone who's been there, done that, where Carl probably wants to come in and pick the best team that can win him a championship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do see where you're coming from there, though. Uh, that's probably why I would say Phil Jackson decided to sign with the uh, Knicks as their GM. But I just feel like there is a possibility, though, that he would like to leave media though, and come back to basketball just because... Um, it's one from judging from what uh, veterans have said. It's nothing like it. You know, it's the big mm-hmm. dance. It's the show. All right, another candidate who, when Cheeks initially got fired, this person was the hot name as the Pistons go to Lionel Hollins, who led the Memphis Grizzlies to the Western Conference Finals last season and was let go because his contract expired and new Grizzlies management came in and you know, kind of wanted to take things in a different direction. Do you think Hollins is a fit? I also, like I said, uh, I 
my same argument for George Carl would probably fit for most people. Uh, Lionel Hollins, um, he has experience as a Pistons player. Uh, he played in the 80s as, under the Pistons jersey. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies had a great uh, renewal to their team. I could see him being beneficial. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a great defensive-minded coach. Uh, he steadily improved the Grizzlies franchise as to where now people know them as a good team in basketball. Um, he worked really well with the front court of Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph, and you could argue the Pistons have a front court just as good with Drummond and Monroe. So I think it's a good natural fit. I think he'd be my guess as to who the Pistons' next coach is. Um, if I had to just guess now, obviously there's a lot of time and a lot of names that will come out before all is said and done, but uh, I think Lionel Hollins will definitely be in the final running. Uh, moving on to another college coach, Fred Hoiberg, who is the head coach of the Iowa State Cyclones. Really young guy, um, you know, a former player who turned head coach. And, you know, supposedly his players love him. He's kind of built up that Iowa State program back to what it used to be. And, you know, is kind of what you talked about, how a coach would like to come in and restore Detroit. Uh, you know, before you really discuss Hoiberg, talk to me about, do you think college coaches can be really effective in the NBA? I mean, I do believe that, but I also have my doubts. I mean, the most, uh, the one that comes to mind right now would be probably Brad Stevens. Mm -hmm. Uh, came to the Boston Celtics. Uh, he's still not in the playoff contention, despite, uh, really what he did with the Butler program was amazing. But I do feel like it's doable. It's just the precedents currently aren't, the atmosphere, at least right now, isn't conducive to that. Well, see, it's interesting that you bring up Stevens. I thought when the Celtics announced that he was their head coach, that was a great hire. Mm -hmm. I thought um, so, too. He did an unbelievable job with a Butler program that, you know, before they really made that Cinderella run, no one really knew about. Now, the Celtics right now are 23-53. and 53. Obviously, that's not very impressive. But if you look at their roster and what he had to deal with, with Rajon Rondo being injured most of the year, they just traded Garnett. They just traded Paul Pierce. Um, you know, Jared Wallace has been hurt for some time. They, they don't really have, if you look at their roster, they don't have mm -hmm. any household names. So, obviously, I wouldn't go bragging about 23-53, and 53, but... If you had to guess what they would have finished before the start of the season, I think you would have guessed that they wouldn't have been as good as they are now, and this is only his first year. Mm -hmm. So they'll have some time at, together as a team now. They'll have some draft picks coming in. I think that you know he's going to do a good job as his time in the NBA progresses. I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from, though, with the lack of household names. As I go through the roster, aside from Rondo, probably the next f most famous name I think of is Chris Humphreys. Yeah, and I'm not. And I don't he's even know not even known basketball. for basketball. Yeah. yeah, if it wasn't for the Kardashians, uh, I mean, like you said, like you're right though. If uh, Brad Stevens didn't come in before the season, I would have probably projected 76ers numbers for this team. Looking at this roster, mm -hmm. and, and again, in case you didn't know, the 76ers are 17 and 59, are the second worst team in the NBA, and they had what was it a 20. 25. Four. I, I don't even know. I have to look it might have been up. a 26 game. Uh, yeah, because everyone kept calling them the 26ers. 
They had a 26-game losing streak when they eventually beat the Pistons um, to end that losing streak. But, you know... And they were lucky enough to be ended by the Pistons. Or the yeah. Pistons were lucky enough to lose. Yeah. So, back to Hoiberg. Uh, you know, you might not be all that familiar with him, but, you know, do you think that's a fit? Um, what do you do with Iowa State? Uh, what, just one I know about the Iowa State program, they had a pretty good, decent... Uh, they had a pretty good season, a decent run in the tournament. Uh, probably didn't go as far as they'd like to, but no one that doesn't win the championship ever does. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, from what I've seen uh, with Iowa State, I can see him having a lot of potential. And I also like the idea of a young of youth in Detroit, too. I like mm-hmm. the idea of a young coach or an experienced coach. Mm-hmm. I know those are two opposites, but yeah. I feel like either one of those could work well in the right circumstances. Kind of a more household name in the college basketball ranks is John Calipari who arguably had his best coaching season ever this year, where, you know, they had a lot of talent. Um, John Calipari's all about the one-and-dones, and they started off the season ranked as number one in the country, did not have the regular season that most people anticipated them to have, but he's got his team playing their best basketball at the right time. Kentucky is in the Final Four and will be playing Wisconsin. Uh... You know, do you think he'll give the NBA another shot? He spent time in the NBA before with the New Jersey Nets. It didn't work out as well as he hoped. But, you know, is it something that you think he would give up Kentucky for? Uh, yeah, Kyle Parr is famous for just one-and-dones. I really don't see him as a program builder. I think Kentucky is just another stop in his career, personally. Um, I feel like he would definitely consider uh, joining the Pistons even, or the NBA at least. Maybe not the Pistons because he likes winning uh, – organizations but you never know it's a new challenge for him he's done well for himself in college so I feel like he would consider the pros do do you think that his style of coaching translates to the NBA see that's where I have a little bit of uh trouble coming in uh seeing him there but because he always comes in John Calipari he kind of reminds me of a what he has in Kentucky, kind of a San Antonio situation where you automatically have all this talent. So it's not really you coaching it so much as the talent, just molding the talent in the right mm-hmm. direction a little bit. So I feel like the NBA, you have a little less intensity of talent to work with. So that could get a little bit uh, hairy. Okay, and the last name that we'll talk about is Bill Lambeer, who was the former head coach of the Detroit Shock where he won several WNBA championships. Then he spent time as an NBA assistant coach, and, you know, he kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. And, you know, his name is kind of always mentioned as a guy who could come in and try and be a head coach. Now, you know, do you think a WNBA head coach or uh even a college women's college basketball head coach could go to the men's league and do just as good of a job i mean i really do though i feel like well for bill well for well for bill Lambier, at least i have no uh question of his dedication to detroit uh i also feel like the wnba doesn't get as much credit as it really deserves for the amount of talent that goes on there with players like candace parker and recently Brittany griner uh, I feel like this would be good for a few reasons, though. This would be good for the media because Suarez likes media attention, as you pointed out earlier. I feel like it could help uh, rebuild the team because he has clearly has a lot of experience uh, in Detroit. 
and he has he's had success as a coach. Actually, another name that just came to my mind that you know we were going to talk about is Chauncey Billups. Um, you know, number one, Mr. Big Shot is currently he's on the Pistons roster. If you if you didn't know that, uh, he spent a lot of time this season injured due to knee injuries, and his career is quickly coming to an end as a player. And a lot of people could see him as a future head coach of a team. And a guy like Jason Kidd, who retired from the Knicks last season without any coaching experience, was named the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, where he initially struggled mightily. Their teams was having, you know, their players were having feuds with each other. They were struggling to just connect. And now, uh, now Brooklyn is the fifth seed in the East. So, do you think Chauncey is a realistic candidate? I, I really, I'm not sure how much uh, Gorez has considered it, but personally, I would love to see Chauncey Billups as head coach in Detroit. Right now, I'm just looking at what uh, Kid did with Brooklyn at the beginning of the season, just starting this with losses to Cleveland. Uh, they beat Miami somehow with one point by one point. Uh, they lost to Orlando, uh, Sacramento. There's a few other teams, a uh, team with this amount of talent, should at least be giving a run for their money for at least. But then if you just look at January and on, there's just WWW, like get wins against Chicago, Memphis, uh, came back and beat Sacramento, Toronto, Miami again. Um, I feel like it's something where it takes time to grow. Mm-hmm. But if Billups can grow with the team as a head coach, he's already on the team working with these people anyways. So if he can have more of an official position... I feel like it would definitely be beneficial. And, you know, the the interesting thing about growing with a team is that Tom Gorez, as a business guy, is all about winning to trying to fill the seats. Do you think he has the patience to hire someone like Chauncey who, you know, that's pro- it's a project. He doesn't have experience as a head coach. He needs to get the feel for being a head coach. And the Pistons were thought to be a team that'd be in playoff contention by no means were they in championship contention, and they could easily be looking at a roster rebuild this this upcoming offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I don't know, though. I feel like that could go either way, though, because Bill, cause Billups has no uh, potential to, uh, has no experience as a head coach. I feel like that has the potential to fill the seats. And his uh, tenure so far clearly have done nothing for the team. I mean, we ended up with Greg Monroe, uh Andre Drummond and Josh Smith obviously just kind of messing around without many results. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Dumars was allowed to do Mars around Detroit for too long. Um, I feel like patience is definitely something that would be necessary for the Billups, but I feel like Billups' decision, but it would also attract a lot of uh, attention to the team, which I think you will like. All right, well, again, you're listening to 88.9 WDBM. Cameron Billups here with Colin Jackson on the Horsepower and we're going to end our show talking about tanking. The NBA is considered the tank league because there is no set draft order until the lottery happens where, as you know, the league and fans around the world have found out, anything can happen in the NBA draft lottery. Um, <clears throat> you know, some people think that it's rigged. That's kind of a conversation for another day. But, Colin, what are your thoughts on tanking? Do you think it's good or bad for the league? I think tanking is terrible for the league, or at least is terrible for the fans. 
I mean, why do you play the game? You play the game to win. So when you're just completely losing on purpose, I feel like it's disappointing all around. I understand the necessity of it, especially in Detroit in this situation right now where they need to tank to even maintain their first-round draft pick. But I feel like overall it's just bad for the league. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, think about it, at least now from Detroit's perspective. They owe Charlotte a first-round pick unless it falls inside of the top eight. The Pistons aren't making the playoffs this year. You know, about the worst thing that could happen to them is that their pick falls anywhere between 9 and 12. They lose their pick. They don't make the playoffs. And how, how do they improve? It's kind of just like they... Don't you think that a team like that needs to tank? Or someone like the 76ers, who are one of the worst teams in the league, what do they have to play for? They have to play for a great draft pick to try and get the best pick as possible. Now, obviously, it's not a guarantee that they'll get that pick, but you know, as, as a fan of the 76ers, wouldn't you rather have your team get a higher percentage chance of getting that number one overall pick and someone like Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker and, you know, make your team better immediately as compared to, you know, if let's say they win five more games. Well, five more games isn't going to get them in the playoffs. That just gets them a worse draft pick and potentially makes it longer until they're competitive. I mean, like you said, I feel like it's more of an atmosphere problem than a current in-practice problem right now. Like the Pistons, they need to tank, and I agree with you, they should tank right now just because just this draft class coming up, just looking at names, Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, uh, even Gary Harris... Uh, Joel Embiid. These are all names for the Pistons uh, to consider throwing around. Uh, But at the same time, just tanking isn't good for the fans. It depends on which point in the season you decide to tank. If you're the 76ers, and I wonder at what point during the losing streak they decided, okay, the season's lost, let's just keep losing. This kind of reminds me of an episode of South Park where uh, we're both just racing to lose. It's not so much as one of us is winning, which Mark Cuban kind of uh, went on a ran about that the other day too which is pretty interesting but then again like the ideas to fix tanking even i'm not sure how i feel about them oh what 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 would be some of your ideas to fix tanking uh well one of them that the sacramento king's owner uh vivek renative uh mentioned the other day was freezing the draft order at the all-star break and then uh the second part of that would be at the end of the season, top seven teams from the Eastern Conference and from the Western Conference make the playoffs. Then for the eighth seed spot, the remaining eight teams in the conference have a sudden-death college-style playoff in a neutral venue for that. And uh, criticism of that would be, wouldn't that just make teams tank at the beginning of the season? But that's just kind of anti- or counterintuitive a little bit. Like, why would you tank? Because at the beginning of the season, you never know how yeah. it would shape out. I agree. I th- that's like... I mean, both of those are are really interesting methods. Uh, you know, I I don't think teams would tank at the beginning of a season, and I mean this is kind of a different for baseball, but because obviously there are more games. But you know, teams can find hot stretches late, and you know if you get hot at the right time, and you know more of a basketball example, Kentucky's hot at the right time, mm-hmm. and you know they were a nine seed who's now in the Final Four. They probably had Final Four expectations to begin the year, but you know it just shows that anything can happen. Now, obviously, not every team makes the playoffs in the NBA, and there aren't 64 teams that make the playoffs in the NBA. But you know, and 
it, I guess it's kind of different because in the NBA, it normally is very structured as the top teams do what they're supposed to do and the bottom teams lose like they're supposed to mm-hmm. lose, like most people believe at the beginning of the season. But, you know, if you get a good head coach and a team that's motivated, I think it's possible to do well enough to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think you you find teams who don't make the playoffs are losing because they're just not motivated to do well, and these players are making millions of dollars, and they figure, you know, we're not that good right now. I'm making my money. What what do what do I really need to play hard for? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, to to set the the picks at the halfway point is interesting. I guess I would ask, you know, what is wrong with kind of the NFL system where like the worst record it, your picks are set off records at the end of the year as compared to like a, a lottery. Well, I feel like with the NFL it works because there's a lot fewer games in the NFL, so every mm-hmm. every Sunday counts. Uh, meanwhile, in basketball, uh, there's way more games. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so, like you said, there, teams can have hot streaks, they can have cold streaks. Um, I just know personally, though, as a fan, I would prefer to see a Cinderella story or a team that wasn't expected to do well, to do well beat Miami. Uh, I, I would love to see Atlanta beat Miami, uh, Charlotte beat Indiana. I would love to see that and then have like a team that was in the eighth spot actually be the NBA champion Yeah. versus, oh, well, I love this team, but they are terrible right now. So they're just going to tank right now, get a high draft pick and be great next season. Or the other, the alternative to that is, oh, well, we think they're going to be great, but then they just start terrible again. So when does the cycle end if they just, if their draft picks don't work out for them? Mm-hmm. Now, going back to your second idea of, having teams fight for the eighth playoff spot, kind of like a conference tournament in college basketball. You know, part of what makes those tournaments so great is the fact that it's a one-and-done. And it is the fact that you have guys like seniors who know this could be my last game, I need to win. My question would be, do you think that the NBA players would have the desire and you know the willingness to play a conference tournament for the A seed with the same motivation as the college guys do. Do you think it would draw as much attention? See, I feel like it would definitely draw attention from the fans at least. I'm not sure. It would be interesting to see how the first few years, if it does, it's a long stretch, but if it does get implemented, it would be uh, interesting to see how the first few seasons go. Because in college, these kids are playing for their futures. Uh, They're playing for that contract, for even chances in Europe if they don't think they'll go to the NBA. Meanwhile, here they're already in the NBA. They're just playing for another. They're playing for a ring, but I feel like at the same time it'll add that competitive nature that teams that like Detroit just have a losing atmosphere right now. It'll add that competitive nature to them and think, okay, this is this could be ours. So let's take it. All right. Well, the Pistons have five games remaining in the regular season. Currently, their record is twenty-seven and forty-nine. What what do you th- what do you say to a team with five games remaining with pretty much zero chance of making the playoffs to get them motivated to play for those remaining games? I say just go out there and play. Honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't give a great coaching speech. I wouldn't try and make up something about you gave it your all this season, just didn't work out. I would just let them go out there and play. I will let them have fun with it. Honestly, at this point, it doesn't matter. All right, well, it's been an interesting season so far in Detroit with 
an expected very busy offseason to come. This is 88.9 WDBM, The Horsepower. I'm Cameron Billis with Colin Jackson. Thanks for listening.